Well, Seth, thank you for reading those words from the gospel this morning. And we're, we just want to think a little bit about that very famous passage of scripture. And it's, it takes place in the upper room about less than 24 hours before Jesus will be dead. So his disciples are gathered there and uh, they've had the last supper together. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet and he said to them, you know, what I'm doing to you as a servant, you need to do to one another. You need to treat one another like you're their servant. And, um, and by this, you'll demonstrate God's love to them and uh, God's love to one another. So they're going through that. Um, Jesus has, had, uh, has said, one of you will betray me before the night is done. And uh, so they're thinking about that. He's also given them lots of hints that he's going to die. And they're, they're upset about that. They're confused about that. They keep thinking, well, can this really be if you're the Messiah? And, um, and then Jesus says to them that um, don't let your hearts be troubled. So here they are learning all of this dangerous stuff that's going to be going on. And uh, Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled, but believe in God and believe in me also. So in a few hours, the disciples' lives are just going to completely fall apart. The world around them is going to collapse. All the hope will be lost. And Jesus is sharing his final thoughts with them. And he's trying to say to them, like, there is going to be hope in the middle of all of this. And they're a bit confused, and maybe they don't quite appreciate it all. And the psalmist would be saying, in, in conjunction with what Jesus is saying, you know, in you, O Lord, I seek my refuge. Don't, me, don't let me ever be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. So Jesus is giving his disciples the keys that they're going to need to go through this calamity and not lose hope. And there's some very practical advice here for you and for me. You know, people all over the world are worried right now, worried about what's gonna happen in our lives, worried, I don't know, that there won't be enough money, worried that we might succumb to the coronavirus and die, or that somebody that we know or love will die from this too. They're worried, uh, you know, about financial crisis all over the world and uh, that that things will happen to the economies of the world and that um, we won't recover from this event for a long time. And Jesus' words to the disciples and to you and me today, in the middle of all the crisis that was in their lives back then and our lives right now, his words are for anybody who could use a little hope. And I think that's a universal feeling right now all over the world that we need some hope. And the disciple John he was an eyewitness to all of these things, all of the life of Jesus, you know, and um, he had observed how Jesus healed people, how he spoke to people, how he taught people, um, and uh, all of the things that he said that people ought to do. He was a brilliant mind. And John writes at the very beginning of this gospel, this, he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace. So he said, he's saying to us, like, I have seen God take on human flesh. I've seen him walk among us. I'm an eyewitness to all of these things. And then, um, you know, he talks a little bit further and he says, the reason I'm writing this all down is this. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God, and that believing in him, you may have life in his name. And that idea of believing is so important in all of this that we're talking about. So Jesus says to us, do not let your hearts be troubled. Because if your heart is troubled, you've lost sight of God. You've forgotten all the promises in the Bible in which we discover that God walks with us. You know, there's lots of stories of calamity happening through the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But there's also alongside of that promises from God that he walks with us and that he'll support us and see us through. And it's not a promise that you're always going to be happy. That's what the world will try to promise you. And it doesn't ever work, does it? So the, the goal of life isn't actually happiness. Um, it's not a promise that things will always be easy for you either, like uh, being in a Walt Disney children's movie or something, you know, like uh, there's going to be hard times as well. And it's a promise of life in you and that there will be suffering. But in the middle of that suffering, that's when we grow the most. That's when we learn the most. And that's when we learn to trust God and to know what God is really like and how he cares for us. And it's when we also discover meaning in our lives and what life is all about. The best things in life aren't what you would imagine. They're not what uh, advertisements will try to tell you. You know, it's not riches and fame and talent and education. It's not about power. It's not about always finding the easy way. The best things in life are found in God and in a relationship of love. And that's what God calls us to do. You know, it, the Bible says God is the author of love and of peace. And to know peace in our hearts and to be able to love one another and to love God, who's the source of all life. And there comes a time in your life when you have to decide you're going to believe. You know, we live in a culture in which it's not the, the done thing to believe in God. And uh, I mean, we even have laws against saying prayer in school. So to, to follow Jesus is to actually be countercultural. It goes against the culture that we live in. And Jesus tells his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. And then he adds this to it. Believe in God and believe in me also. And this verse, verse 1 and verse 11, they say sort of the same thing. Believe in God, believe in the Father that's, uh, who sent Jesus. And Jesus wants to really drive home this idea of what he's talking about. The essence of all of this is belief and faith. Belief and faith are the opposite of your heart being troubled. So, you know, as we see the coronavirus and as we face our deepest fears, you may be saying, there's a lot of reasons to be afraid right now. What is there in what Jesus is saying that helps us so that we won't be troubled in our hearts? And when you ask, you know, maybe you want to ask God this question, hey, God, why should we trust in you at a moment like this? That's what you're saying to us. We should trust you. Why should we do that? Well, there's five reasons, I think, and Jesus talks about them here in this uh, bit of scripture. First, he reminds us this. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So I don't know whether you know this, but God is rich. God is incredibly rich. I mean, you may think of Jeff Bezos, who's the founder of Amazon, that he's rich. And in an article I looked at yesterday, he's the richest person in the world. He's got 110.1 
billion dollars, <laughs> which is a mind-boggling amount of money as far as I'm concerned. But you know what? If you compared Jeff's riches, which is, I'm not trying to diminish that, but if you, if you compare his riches to God's riches, God is incredibly rich, and the amount that Jeff has is a minuscule amount. So you can imagine that when Jesus says his heavenly father has this big, big house, well, it's, it's very, very big. And when he says, I'm going there to prepare a place for James and John and Peter and all of the apostles and the disciples and all those folks who have trusted in God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength all these years, don't worry that it's all full. You know, like, don't worry if you ever, you know, die and go to heaven, that somebody, say Peter or somebody will be there at the Golden Gate saying, oh, I'm sorry, we're, we're booked up. You'll have to go somewhere else. That's not going to happen because there's a room for everybody, everybody who knows and loves God and knows that God loves them. And each room will be de designer built for you. And each room will be all that you need or could ask or imagine. God isn't going to run out of space. And all God's children are going there to live with their heavenly father. And he loves you. God's promise is that to as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the children of God. Isn't that interesting? That's from John in John chapter 1. To as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. And it's a promise to all who believe in him. He isn't saying, well, you always have to do good if you want to get in here, or you must be doing the right thing, and I'm keeping a track of, you, of all you're doing. He isn't saying, you're going to have to earn this, you know. No. Believe in God the Father, and believe in Jesus. And that Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus. Believe in God. Love God with all that you can, and allow your love to be nourished and to grow. And then he says to his disciples, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Well, why does he have to go to prepare a place? Did you ever wonder that? Isn't, isn't heaven ready? <laughs> like, is there building works going on there? Is there carpentry work to be done or painting or something? Get, get all these rooms ready? And the answer to that comes from locating the moment in which Jesus is speaking these words. Remember when he said this. It was less than 24 hours before his death. Your sin and my sin hadn't been atoned for yet. The fierce anger that God shows towards sin, that hasn't been satisfied yet. We're still condemned facing death in this moment where Jesus is speaking. Jesus hadn't been sentenced to death yet. He hadn't been crucified. You know, he died on the cross so that your sins and my sins might be forgiven. In fact, he hasn't spoken those powerful words yet. When he's on the cross, when he's been so abused and mistreated by people, and he looks down at them, and only God could do this. And he says, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. He died that you and I might have life. He died to defeat death, and make a way to the Father for you. Those were the actions that allowed for your place and my place to be ready in heaven. There was no way for you to get to the Father's presence 
until that work had been done. And that's why Jesus says that he's preparing a place for us. And then he says this, and you know the way to the place where I'm going. So Thomas, who's always got something interesting to say, says this. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How could we know the way? And Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I know some people sometimes have trouble with that, but let's just think about that for a minute. In other words, he's saying, I'm going away for a little while, and while I'm gone, I'll do everything necessary to prepare the way for you. And as I go, I will become the way that you get there. I am the truth that you hold on to to get there. I am the life, the eternal life that you'll enjoy starting now and when you get there in heaven. So again, because of all of that, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe that the Father and I are one, for I'm going to, to die on the cross so that the way may be made clear. And he is the way for us to get to this place. But, you know, that isn't the only implication of Jesus saying that he's going to prepare a place for you. And this is seen in what Jesus says next. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. I will take you to myself. I'll take you to myself. Most people hear that and say, he's saying, I will take you to be in heaven. But he isn't. He's saying, I'll take you to myself. This is one of the most important images in this conversation that Jesus has with the disciples in the upper room. I will take you to myself that where I am, you will also be. Our destination isn't heaven. Well, it's to be in a place where Jesus is. So maybe that's the definition of what heaven is like. It's where Jesus is. But, you know, years ago, Yuri Gagarin was the first cosmonaut, astronaut in space, first person in space. And he reported to have said, I flew into space, but I didn't see God. But you know what? Some research shows Yuri Gagarin didn't say those words. It was, in fact, Nikita Khrushchev, the leader of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Gagarin was a devout Russian Orthodox Christian who believed in God, who believed that he's gone to heaven to prepare a place for us and come back to get us. Heaven isn't up in space. That's the point. Heaven is where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are present. And in this passage, Jesus isn't saying he'll take you to heaven. He's saying, I'll take you to be with me. I will come again and take you to myself. Therefore, my beloved disciples, he says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust. Believe. Trust that I'm coming for you, and I will come, and I will take you. And trust me, because the dwelling that I prepared for you is my crucified, risen self. Don't be troubled, Jesus is saying. I'll come to you, and I'll take you to myself. And you might be saying to yourself, well, that's all well and good, one day I'll die and I'll go to be with Jesus. And that's all in the future. But what about right now? Right now is when I feel like I need this hope. I need to know that there's something more than 
just all of my problems and that there's a way through them. How does that help me to have hope in the middle of problems, the problems that I have right now? How does that help somebody who has an abusive husband? How does it help somebody who's going through absolute hell because their partner is cheating on them? How does it help when you're talking to somebody who's addicted to crystal meth, especially if that's somebody that you know and you love and you care about? Or how about, how does this help if you've lost contact with your daughter or your son? How does it help somebody who's lost their job and sees no way forward? Or seeing their investments tank over $24 a barrel crude oil? Or how does it help when you say, I just come from the doctor. I'm a very sick person. I don't know how I'll ever get through this. I think I'm going to die. How do I have hope for the now? not just the long-term future. Listen to what happens next. So Philip comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, I've got it. Show us the Father and that will be enough for us. He doesn't say, show us the Father someday, but now. We want to see the Father now. And if you show us the Father now, Lord, that will be sufficient for us. Show us the Father now and that will satisfy our troubled hearts. Is God near now? Well, he can't be, can he? Jesus tells us six different times that the Father is here now. And I think if he's saying something six different times, that's maybe something he really wants you and me to understand, that he's around, the Father is around. Listen to this. Verse 7a says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father. Verse 7b, from now on you do know him, and you have seen him. So you've seen the Father in Jesus. Verse 9a, in response to Philip's request to see the Father, Jesus says to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Then verse 9b, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10a, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Verse 11a, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I think you gotta, you got to make that connection. That what he's saying is, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm in the Father, the Father is in me. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough. Is he here? Yeah, Jesus says six times. <laughs> the Father is here. He's with you. He's as close as close can be. Isn't that enough for you? Is the Father here with you right now? Is God here with you right now? To understand that argument, you drop down about five or six verses from where we've been reading to verses 16 to 18. And here's where the conversation that takes place. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and you, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot see, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells in you and, you, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will, not come to you. I will come to you. I will not leave you. I will come to you. When the helper the Holy Spirit came, Jesus was present. 
when it says at the end of verse 17, he dwells with you and will be in you. He means I'm with you physically now and I will be spiritually with you when the spirit comes. You know, um, Paul talks about the way that he, the way that he does about the spirit and about the spirit of Christ in himself. Listen to these amazing words that Paul says in Romans chapter eight. He says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. The spirit of God dwells in you. That is God, the Holy Spirit. We believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This isn't about the second coming. This is about here and now. Jesus has gone away physically. He told us that he had to go to be with the Father so that the Father could send the Holy Spirit to live in us. And that means that the power of God is in you now. You're not left all on your own until he comes again. He hasn't left you as an orphan. He has come to you. And he's here right now, more interested and more caring about all the aspects of your life, about your parenting, about your marriage, about your singleness, about your failing health, your job lost, or your job that you can't stand, or the loneliness, more lonely than you could ever imagine. He didn't come to just be an observer. He came, the scripture says, as our helper to be with us to make a difference in your life, that knowing that he dwells in you, you have hope. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. You don't need to let your heart be troubled in the middle of all the turmoil of your life, in the middle of the turmoil of the world. God lives in you. And from disaster, he's able to bring the greatest blessings that his glory can offer, that they might be seen. So we remember God, not to let our hearts be troubled, but to believe in Jesus and believe in the Father. Amen.